Beth is a bold, unapologetic, New York City-based graphic designer and creative specialist. For the last eight-plus years, Beth has made a living from taking your visual communications ideas, desires, and challenges and turning them into things people truly want to see, read, and interact with. When she's not improving the world, one communication at a time, Beth can be found watching her favorite sports teams, playing the drums, cuddling her cat, or building furniture with her boyfriend. One day, maybe in retirement, Beth hopes to make a second living off of those hobbies, especially the cat cuddling part. Where do I begin? So uh, the intro kind of said a lot, but I am an artist, a graphic designer. Um, I am New York based, born and raised. I'm also a musician and a furniture fabricator and a cat lover, dog lover, you name it. I'm kind of anything creative and anything cuddly. Well, based off of those two items, too, um, I have a dog who actually ripped my furniture. Oh, no. So maybe we need you to You can connect. hit me up. <laughs> we can connect offline. Hit me up for <laughs> some of your furniture needs. <laughs> so what's your current role? So currently, I, um, I'm kind of two things, but my main role, my day job, is senior art director for a global nonprofit. It's called the Jewish Federations of North America, and it's kind of interesting because we're um, an umbrella organization, so we don't actually deal with communities. We deal with the local organizations that deal with communities. Um, so what's interesting about that is I feel like I'm in more of like a, a studio and less of like a local marketing mm -hmm. department. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's cool. So being a senior art director, yeah. what do some of your responsibilities entail? How did you specifically get into this type of role? Yeah, so this is kind of, I'll, I'll start with what my role entails and then how I got there. So um, my role is a lot, to be honest, it is still a lot of design. I know when people think of art director, sometimes they think that you're a little bit less hands-on. Um, my department itself is small enough where I'm still very hands-on, but a lot of what I do is um, still directing. So we have a team and anything that's visual communications, I oversee that um, in conjunction with copywriters and, and our overall uh, creative director. Um, but it's a lot of hands-on stuff. I do a lot of digital design, print design. We do experiential designs for a lot of our bigger um, events and things. It's, it's kind of Everything that you could possibly touch as a designer, we touch and I oversee. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty great. I imagine you have a busy schedule. Definitely, but I squeeze it into my <laughs> nine to five. Just like you were Gotta get home. A lot of hats being worn. Yeah, I think that's pretty standard for nonprofits mm -hmm. and for marketing, but yeah. That's great. A lot of hats. So you've mentioned, you know, when we originally spoke that you do a lot of freelance work yes. on the side. Um, was this something you always thought you would do as a designer? Yeah, and actually that segues me back into the second part of the last question, which I forgot to answer. So my, my goal, um, ever since I knew that design was where I wanted to go, I figured out I wanted to do art because music was just not my option. That was my other option. I just decided no. And once I got to college and I saw what the opportunities were, I always said to myself, creative director. That's like the highest power that you could be in without being a C-suite person in creative. So that was my goal. And therefore, the steps leading up to that meant that obviously I had to get my graphic design experience. I had to get experience in other areas, which I'm still working on, like copywriting, maybe video, digital. 
Um, and then just continue to work up until I've gained the skills and the director level um, skills necessary in order to be promoted mm-hmm. to, that, to that level. Now, as I was in some of my positions, I felt as though staying just within the role, the confines of my role at my nine to five, was just not going to be enough to gain the experience and the the design skill sets necessary to actually branch into other areas. So that's where freelancing came in for me, where I I discovered that I can still have my day job and still perform my day job and do the tasks necessary, but I can keep my portfolio fresh and I can meet new people and network and I can um, just try things that I can't try at work on the side with freelance clients. So it wasn't always a thought, but as soon as I knew really what direction I was taking, it kind of fell into place. Yeah, that's a really good point you mentioned, just in sort of like the diversity of your portfolio, because I've spoken with a lot of designers who you you sort of get like pigeonholed into a certain method when you're at your job. Yep, and you know, sometimes there's, and I've always followed myself about this too, sometimes there's a good little niche that you can find yourself in and you're known for that specialty and some people will pay a lot of money for people who are specialists, but then other times you have to think to yourself, if you don't have that one niche, then you got to start mastering everything. And so that's, I think, where freelance really helps. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So what are your recommendations for properly managing your time as a full-time employee, but also as a freelancer? So I think... Because that's the hot ticket. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. And I'll tell you that there are times when I sit there being like, oh, my God. Um, but <laughs> I think that the key, A, is keeping your expectations where they're manageable. Mm-hmm. Don't overpromise. And I'm someone who loves to overpromise, but I, I then try to work even harder to deliver. Um, but try to stay within the realm of what's possible so that you can really say to yourself, okay, I've got my nine to five and I focus on my job and anybody that needs me for freelance gets me from the hours of five till 1030 when I go to bed and weekends are open for them. And you really just have to say to yourself and say to the people around you, look, I've got work to do, so I can't do this tonight. Um, or I can only do this for X number of times. Sometimes I have to go home and tell my boyfriend he's got to cook because I have to do work. Um, luckily he's a workaholic, so it's not that hard to convince him, but that's really, it's for me, it's about measuring expectations, not only for myself, but for the clients and letting them know, like I devote all of my time that I have to you, but between the hours of nine and five, that's my job. And after that, we can talk. And I think that it's worked for me. I, I, I like to think that it's worked for me and my clients. Yeah. No, I think that's really great advice because I think that's also the hardest part about setting expectations within yourself. Yeah. Right? Yep. Because you have to adhere to those yes. things. And it's so difficult. And if you can't, you're going to disappoint more than just yourself. So you got to keep that in reality. <laughs> So as a creative, I imagine that you have to do a lot of self-marketing, a lot of self-branding. How do you approach this? I'm not good at that. So (laughs) I'll just, I'll put that out there right now. If anybody wants to help me with that, um, I'm open to it. I'm very, there's like a fine line between selling yourself Mm -hmm. and bragging about yourself. And it's very important that you sell yourself. And it's very important that you self-advocate and that you show your worth and that you believe the things that you're telling people so that they put their trust and their money into your product. Um, I have a hard time straddling that line and I often get nervous that if I look too, 
if I try too hard, I'm going to look like I'm bragging and it's never my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's ended up happening for me, and luckily it's helpful because I, I do have a full-time job, so I'm not necessarily out there begging for people's time, but um, it's been a lot of word of mouth. Yeah. I have not done a great job of being out there being like, hey, if anybody needs design services, hit me up. I can do X, Y, and Z things. I'll give people business cards and I'll tell people my website. Um, but otherwise, I'm not out there advertising maybe the way I should be. I'm definitely not um, doing as much in the networking department as maybe I should be because so far, word of mouth has held me. Yeah. Of course, it wouldn't hold me if freelancing was my full-time job. Mm-hmm. I would have to get better at that. That's, that's definitely a struggle. So diving deeper into just how you actually get your business. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned word of mouth. Like, how are you sealing the deal here? So word of mouth is what gets them in the door. Obviously, someone says to me, oh, I got your information from so-and-so. I'm looking for this kind of project. Do you have anything that you've done? And that's really, I think that's where the deal gets sold is when you have that conversation, you say, yeah, let me show you some of the things that I've done. Um, it's usually at that point that they'll say, great, would love to work with you. Some people don't get that far and they just say, hey, can you do this? How much would it cost? And if the price is good, then they'll, they'll go with you. They don't even care. That's not necessarily what I would say is your, your ideal client. Um, but sometimes that's what you get. Uh, I do think it being choosy about your clients is also important, but um, sometimes there are people who are a little bit more picky than others. Mm-hmm. But I would say, yeah, it's a lot of the times having to sell yourself through your work. I mean, I think that that's kind of a, a very good distinction that we made before is that your work has to speak for itself. People will say, oh, I'm looking for a website. What websites have you done? Mm-hmm. If you don't show them anything, they're not going to be comfortable. Yeah. Um, if you show them a lot of great things, they're going to love you. If you show them stuff that maybe they don't love, but they still like working with you, there might be a middle ground somewhere. But definitely, it's sealing the deal comes with A, being reachable, being approachable, and then B, having your work speak for itself. There's obviously the relationship factor, mm-hmm. yes. right? Because people are you know, enjoying their partnership with you right. to the extent that not only are they liking what they're receiving, but they're also enjoying that communication right. with you. Yep. So what's some relationship building tips that you can give to some of our listeners? So one thing I will say is whenever possible, try to meet with your clients in person. I know that um, that's not always possible, and sometimes you can then do video chat if that's an option, um, and sometimes it literally is just over phone. I would say to try to avoid relying on email communication as the only source. Of course, it can be the main source, but I wouldn't rely on it as the only source. I think when you first start working with a client, it's really important for you to actually get to know that person, especially for what we do, because oftentimes if it's a branding project, this person's starting their own venture, that venture is really a part of them. And if you don't get to know that person, you're never going to actually touch upon what it is they're looking for. A lot of people don't actually know what they're looking for. So it's our job as the creative, as the, the point person for their needs to tap into that. And you don't get to do that by just talking to them via email. Um, I also think that I, I try to ask certain questions that are maybe a little bit beyond just what are you looking for? What colors do you like? But a little bit more about like when someone experiences this, what is that emotional response you want to get? Um, or I just, I try, try to tap into the whole, like if you had to describe this in three words, what would it be? Yeah. And not telling me the elevator pitch for what your company is, but is it innovative, creative, and sleek? Like, what is mm-hmm. the embodiment of 
what you want me to do. Um, and I think that those questions tend to get them to think a little bit more. And then once they see it come to fruition, they're kind of like, ah, I get it. That's why you asked. So, but I do think the in-person communication is key. And I think that builds the trust. And after that, I mean, you can start to do more phone calls, more texting, more emails. But once you've gotten that, I know you now yeah. vibe, it's a lot better. Yeah. You get a lot more trust. That's good advice. Um, what would be your like ideal client? That's so funny. So my ideal client, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. Um, <laughs> You ever hear of that uh, that website, clientsfromhell.com? <laughs> no, but it sounds like I need to contribute. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, and I would say, yeah, if anyone's got stories, feel free to go on, look, read, whatever. Um, so it would be anyone that's not on that website. But no, um, my, my ideal client, honestly, is someone who actually knows how to give feedback. Uh, I don't mind necessarily if you're in the, I'm not sure what I'm looking for, because that's a lot of people... It, Myself included, oftentimes we're just like, I'm thinking of something. I don't know what it is, but when I see it, I'll know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like that with furniture. I'm like that with everything. But when I see something or when the client sees something that isn't speaking to them the way they want it to, to be able to come back and not say, I don't like this, or to not say um, that this needs to be bolder. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Why don't you like it? What about what boldness are you looking for is it in the font do you want the words to scream do you want the colors to scream like what is it that isn't bold enough for you and that's the best way to actually solve the problem faster Um, I've had a lot of clients where I've done a lot of back and forth because all they've said is can we change this can we make this different can we change the color change the font and I kept being like what to what like, I, I'm happy to do that for you, but I need to know what the vibe is. And they're like, I don't know, just make it pop. <laughs> and then, it, you know, it's three rounds later and they're like, no, not that one. No, not that one. And then they get the bill and they're like, what took so long? Why is this so expensive? And I have to tell them, we yeah. went through three rounds of changes when it should only have been one. So I would say ideal client is someone who knows how to give proper feedback. And of course, someone who also values the service that we're providing. Yeah. I think that's also big, but I think you could say that about anybody. Yeah, absolutely. What's like some of your favorite projects that you've worked on so far? Honestly, I have to say some of my favorite projects are probably ones that I've been doing with my current job. I think that, you know, for one, I got last year, I started my job in June of last year, and I basically jumped right into one of our biggest conferences ever. It's called the General Assembly. A lot of people have a conference called the General Assembly, but this one is for JFNA. And um, that conference was the first time I ever got to design a full environment. So that was everything from elevator skins, wrapping pillars, designing backdrops to stages Um, it was huge and it was it was such a big undertaking and I was so not prepared for it it was a great learning opportunity but these are the types of projects that I get to do I get to build websites um, all these things that you know at my other jobs and quite honestly my clients don't even really provide this particular scope of work um, because they're a little bit more smaller um, the jobs and the clients. So it, it, it really is kind of inspiring and, it, and it's forcing me to do things that I've never done, which adds to my portfolio, which adds to my skill set. Um, so I'm really proud of that and I'm really excited about those opportunities. 
Um, otherwise, I definitely find that branding projects are probably the most fun for me because I do have to tap so far into the person's brain. Yeah. And I really get to be full-on creative. I mean, it's not... I'm not building some kind of a platform. I'm not designing some kind of like a one-page sell sheet. I'm designing the image mm -hmm. that your baby is going to take on. And I think that that's amazing. I love that. That's such a cool way to put it. That's so true. It, I mean, your logo is you. It's your persona yeah. that you're putting out there. Let's talk about work and, yes. you know, in the corporate setting and yes. really being able to, like, fight for yourself. Yes. And, you know, there's just – it's such a statement to unpack, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't ask a lot of other people, how do you fight for yourself in right. your job? Because a lot of it's also like, well, I'm not really going to tell you how, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's a good question because I think – and I think I'm speaking for a lot of women here, so, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of women are definitely afraid to fight for themselves and advocate for themselves in the office place because we do one thing that we're like, we're standing up for ourselves and someone else sees it says just being bitchy and demanding. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that it's always a challenge. Now, the one good thing I can say about nonprofit, and there's many good things, but one of the best things is that it's predominantly female run. Um, and my department, for instance, is all women right now. Wow. Yes. When I started, there was one man on the team. He retired. So <laughs> that goes to show you that. Um, it's all women. So I think that there's a little bit more of that freedom to advocate when you know that the people around you might have been experiencing the same things as you. But it's a challenge. And I think that we all kind of go through this day to day of like, how can I say this without someone thinking that I'm trying to do something I'm not? Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that, look, if I ever go into another corporate for-profit and I'm surrounded by men, I'm probably going to struggle with that. But we just have to find a way to work through it. I think maybe talking to other women who have worked their way up the ladder is always a great resource. Yeah. Just asking how to do it seeing what they say. <laughs> it's always an entertaining conversation. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have a lot of, um, can we take this off the record? Mm -hmm. I have a lot of those talks. I'm sure. <laughs> but that's, that's the other struggle is they're not going to tell you these things because a lot of them, it's like, legally, I'm not really supposed to. Exactly. Um, so we ask all of the guests that we've had on the show the same question, okay. which is... Who is your ideal femme? Yes, I thought about this question forever. <laughs> um, this was a really tough one for me. I think because when I'm forced to think of an individual thing, item, person, whatever, I forget what it is. <laughs> so I had to take a step back. And I really thought about this kind of from the macro. And I was like, femme, femme, what is femme? So I start by looking up what femme is. I go to Google. And Google's like, it's a woman. And I'm like, great, helpful. <laughs> so then I'm like, great. So then in that case, it's like any woman that I interact with, either deeply or in passing, is probably a femme to me, right? Okay, great. Um, and that could be self-defying self, uh, or whatever. It doesn't matter. You're a woman. So, but then I think, okay, but what is it really? Like, what is... Femme, what is that power? Because femme to me is powerful. It's a powerful word. And so I thought, kind of goes back to our other conversation, it's like someone who's able to advocate. It's someone who's able to be strong and passionate and willful and unapologetically them and do it gracefully in such a way, and I don't mean societally gracefully, but like in such a way that people are not intimidating, yeah. but people are actually like, ooh, I'm intrigued. You draw me in. And so I think about that a lot, and I think that there's a lot of women that I work with who embody that for me. Um, 
But when I started to think about people who we can relate to, honestly, the first person that came to mind was Rihanna. Because I was just like, she is, she's queen. She just commands a room. She doesn't give a fuck. And she gets what she wants. But she does it in such a way that people are like, yes, I want to do that too. Agreed. I love her. So that that was my conundrum. was like, what? how do I get away from just woman and into like femme? And it's, no one has ever said Rihanna. And I'm like shocked. shocked. Yeah. Shocking. Because like now when you say that, I actually have never met someone who has said they don't like her. Exactly. Like, because she literally just... Like, she's such a likable, respectable yes. woman who also is still, like, fighting for equal yes. rights. Yes, everything good. There. Everything good. I mean, that's funny. Wow. I know. It's it's amazing to me because she is, she's a queen, and this I love her. Why, this is why I ask these questions. <laughs> yeah. No, she's, she's everything. Eye-opening. Wow. Rihanna, man. Now you're going to start implanting that into well, people's heads. And another, like, another thing, like, I was just had this conversation with my boyfriend not too long ago where I'm like, if I see one more tweet about someone asking her for more music, like, oh God. she's out here building a brand. She literally, she she's crushing it. everything. She's crushing the beauty industry in such a way that, like, I don't love makeup. I mean, I'm wearing some right now, but the extent of my makeup is lipstick, eyeliner, mm-hmm. mascara, done. And... I'm out here looking at her products being like, I'm about to buy some foundation. <laughs> like, I'm about to test all of these shades and see yes. what's perfect for me. And I'm going to drop my $50 on some Fenty Beauty products. I'm in it. Like, in it to win it. I love her. That's amazing. This is really good for investors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anyone's looking, check her stocks. <laughs> so where can our listeners follow you on social media? Yeah, so I'm not as active as I'd love to be, but I would say my best social media platform is Instagram, mm-hmm. um, which is, get ready for it, it's Bethalicious Def, <laughs> like Fergie. Love it. But cooler. And that's Bethalicious underscore Def. Um, I think if you started typing it, you might find it, but you know. Those that are lucky. <laughs> no, yeah. If, if you're with it, you'll find it. Otherwise, you know, better luck next time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do you have any final pieces of advice for our listeners? Um, I say, and this follows my dear Riri, and something that you heard in my bio, be unapologetically you. I mean, at the end of the day, you are not perfect for everybody, and that is just a fact. You're not perfect for anybody. You're only perfect for yourself, but you are. You're perfect for yourself. And so the more you accept that and the more you're unapologetically you, I think the easier it will be to do some of the things we talked about, like advocate for yourself and and market yourself. I mean, I'm still learning how to be 100% unapologetically me. But yeah, I just think that that's like the best thing you could do for yourself is to just walk around being like, love it. Look at me right now. I'm happy. Um, And I know that that doesn't just come easily. And sometimes we do need the help of outside sources and outside forces to get us to where we need to be. But that's where I would always strive is to just be unapologetically me. Yes. You heard it here first. (laughs) Yes. Beth, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Do you know any trailblazing females that you think we should be featuring? Send us an email at femt at gmail.com. That's F-E-M-M-E-T-E-E at gmail.com. As always, thank you for your support as we strive to promote the growth of diverse women in all industries. Hashtag get femmed.